Welcome to No Acid Needed. This is Zara Zadeh, a Harvard-trained clinical psychologist and recovering chronic overthinker. I share with you so many uh, jewels, gems, and gifts that I've discovered along my journey to becoming me, becoming myself minus all of the limiting beliefs and stories and programming. So this is what these episodes will help you do as well, is to rewrite what is within your subconscious so that you can live abundantly as your most confident, radiant self. If you would like the full-length episodes and a whole lot more resources, I invite you to become a patron of the show. If you're listening to this right now, you're only getting the partial length episodes. It is simply an option for you to give back to the show and receive even more. If you're not able to afford that subscription, please send us an email and money will not be a barrier for you. Welcome to No Acid Needed. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. And today I have a very special guest here with me, Natalie Dyer. And uh, today we're going to be discussing about a number of things, primarily around the study that she's done. Um, She's done many studies, but this one in particular is uh, our topic of discussion today. It's, I'll tell you what it's titled in case you want to look it up. It's entitled A Systematic Review of Psychedelic-Assisted Psychotherapy for Mental Health, an Evaluation of the Current Wave of Research and Suggestions for the Future. And this was published in the journal Psychology of Consciousness, Theory, Research, and Practice. So with that very official title, um, which just sounds cool also, partly also why I wanted to mention it, so just going off of that, I'm going to allow Natalie to say hi, introduce herself a little bit, uh, and talk about what brought her to this um, research, uh, sort of her areas of interest, and why she was interested in um, researching psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy in the first place. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Zara. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here and to talk about this. Um, it's a very interesting subject to me. So um, yeah, so the way I got into, first of all, this is a systematic review of all the research um, during the what's called the current wave of psychedelic research. So we started psychedelic research uh, 100 years ago, and the way it was done was um, very unethical. Um, and it was uh, messy. So we kind of had a revival in research um, since the early 90s. Um, So it's kind of like a reset (laughs) in the psychedelic research done with um, a lot of things in mind that we learned during that first phase. Um, So this review is looking at current research. Um, And I got interested in psychedelics. Um, I was never interested in psychedelics as a child or any drug, what I would consider drug. I was very Mm -hmm. anti-alcohol, anti-cigarettes, (laughs) anti-everything. But I was also... Would you, were you were you straight edge, straight edge like quote unquote you know because yeah I was the one kid in high school at the party sitting like on the sofa sober looking at everyone, <laughs> drink, looking at everyone drinking like oh. petting the cat petting the cat hanging out with the petting the cat watching the movies like <laughs> um, but but really I was a spiritual person um, mm. 
And I didn't really understand the connection between plant medicines or more traditionally used psychedelics and spirituality. Um, I would equate all psychedelics, I was just uninformed. I would equate all of that as, as dangerous drugs. Um, so I was just a little ignorant um, before, uh, but I was into meditation and spirituality um, and somehow like just read books about uh, indigenous. So I got involved into indigenous medicines and shamanism and that's when obviously you get a lot of plant medicine. So I started learning about it and I thought, oh, it seems to be um, quite important for spirituality and indigenous practices all mm -hmm. over the world. And really the way it's used is what's important. And then I had my own experience um, without really intending to. I had a friend come over. Um, I lived in Toronto at the time. Um, I was an undergrad. And my friend came over and said, hey, I have this, it's legal cannabis. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I, I drank at parties and stuff at that point, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. Um, I'll try this legal cannabis. Um, and it was salvia divinorum. And uh, he, he smoked it like a joint. And so he was like, I don't know, it's really like nothing. So here, like, let's try it. And, and I, and we had it as a, as a joint. And if you know salvia, then you know that that doesn't really do much. <laughs> so we had it, we just had a joint. And I was like, oh yeah, this just kind of makes me Feel a little weird and he's like yeah just keep it all like I'm writing an article on it but like I'm done with it it's really he was writing an article on it and didn't um, understand it properly mm -hmm. but he left it with me so then I researched it mm -hmm. and I learned that you're supposed to take it like in a water pipe or um, mm -hmm. at high heat and hold mm -hmm. it in and the method was not proper like so yeah like a For bomb you might not know what you mean by water pipe. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Bomb>. <laughs> That, that word is like not allowed in some places. So it just, anyway, whole other oh. story. Um, <laughs> in like uh, smoke shops and stuff, you say bomb. Mm. So, it's not, so I learned to say water pipe. <laughs> um, so I did it the proper way. Um, after researching it, learning it, it's used in Mexico and Mexican shamans for years. And, and then, um, so I took it the proper way and I had a very profound experience um, where I immediately felt like I had gone to another dimension. Like I flipped back. It's really, I flipped back. There were beings there. I was super lucid. Everything was more real than real. And so I had a very profound, really long um, experience. And when I came back, um, that just shifted so much for me because it was an experience of like another dimension or another level of existence that I hadn't had before that you can't get from books. And so from that point on, I was like, wow, I'm really interested in this particular plant um, mm -hmm. and decided to study that. So I studied that um, in 2014 at Harvard, which was like 10 years later. And then I got invited to, through my, my psychedelic research with Salvia, um, people found out that I was open to that. And I got invited to do this systematic review. Um, mm -hmm. And this paper is looking at the proper use of it. So in a psychotherapeutic context. Um, mm -hmm. So having a guide there, and that's how it would have been done in the indigenous and is done in the indigenous tradition as well. You would always have a guide. You wouldn't just be given a psychedelic and told to <laughs> go take it in your own time and <laughs> sort yourself out. Um, so it's really important. And that's the emphasis of the current wave of research is how do we do this in the best way possible? Um, whereas in the 60s, 70s, they were literally just dropping acid in people's drinks without them knowing and following them and studying them so here we are that's how I got interested in that research and and because um, I'm so interested in spirituality and um, mm -hmm. post-materialism uh, 
psychedelics are a tool for that. So that's mostly where my interest lies is how does it give us a real experience of something beyond um, and the, the potency in which it can create that. So you can get the same experiences or um, growth uh, through years and years of meditation. Uh, you can also have it spontaneously or you can take uh, LSD or psilocybin under a proper context and have profound growth. Um, David Luke, he's a researcher in the UK and he says, I like his quote because he said, um, psychedelics will make an atheist a believer in 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so I think um, its potency is what's very interesting to me, provided that it's done properly, uh, legally and um, with the proper therapeutic guidance. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah, there was a lot there. Um, lots of things to expand on. Uh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, that experience you had with Salvia. Um, Salvia is so intense. I mean, to have that is one of like the, your first, the first experience, experience, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, can I ask you when that was? Was that a long time? That ago? was. We yeah, were how, um, you were how old, basically? So I was. That's a good question. I was 23. I was 23. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I see. So until that point, you were a researcher before that, right? I was in um, biology and psychology at University of Toronto. I was oh, studying okay. and I was in a materialist framework. I was pro, mm. I mean, I, my trajectory was psychiatry. Like I was all for wow. antidepressants and um, medication. I, I thought it was the best thing ever because my I have a family history of depression and anxiety, and I saw um, from a young age the um, medication of family, which I, I thought was helping, which it is, but you know, there's, yeah. there's, deeper, there's deeper healing that can go right. on. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was very much interested in psychiatry and uh, was a materialist, really. And through having those experiences in meditation and yoga, like totally changed my research interests. Wow. That just blows my mind a little bit, just knowing you, like, and just <laughs> thinking, like, that's, that was your, you know, mental, like, framework before mm -hmm. that experience. So that experience must have been so life-changing since it shifted the trajectory of your whole life. I mean, it was, but I think it, the, that integration period was really long because I still, so I started my, I started uh, graduate school and I was still kind of in that I had this experience of another dimension. Like, I, I was in two minds. It's like, how do you interpret that? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, and I told friends, like, I seriously experienced, I know that was real, you know? Right. I mean, it right. was so profound. And um, and they were like, oh. So some friends were like, what's <laughs> <laughs> wrong with that? Um, but ultimately, I went and started graduate school looking still with this pharmacological approach. I studied anxiety in the brain and I looked at the mm. role of glutamate, um, GABA, these different neurotransmitters mm. and neuropeptide Y. But very early on in that graduate degree, I was like, it was, I was doing animal research and it was really, really difficult. Um, but I vowed at the end, like I would only study um, post-materialist related stuff and, and what I was in alignment with essentially because mm -hmm. and no more animal research definitely not um so I still kind of started my degree with yeah in two minds I was like I, I've had this experience but I also see things this way and and then um it, it was after my first year of um, my PhD that I realized and got open to the fact that all these people have been studying 
um, spirituality, spiritual experiences, mm -hmm. psychic abilities, and that it's largely just been suppressed. It's not in the textbooks. <laughs> so, right. Right. Um, okay, yeah. interesting. Um, I wanted to comment briefly on, you know, your usage of the phrase, like, it was realer than real. Right. Because I just totally, you know, when I just highlight that, like a, like a call out with that phrase, because I think that is the experience that, you know, most people like describe it that way, because, mm -hmm. you know, I think people who haven't um, partaken in medicines, plant medicines, uh, psychedelics, um, they might see it a lot as, okay, these are sort of hallucinations that you're right. having in your mm -hmm. mind. You know, it's, it's a product of your just mental like experience. It's not actually real, you know, it's not mm -hmm. actually happening in the real world, you know? And, and so I think um, it's important to just, just <laughs> like <laughs> notice that, that when you, when you have, you know, when you do experience plant medicines and psychedelics, like those, ex those experiences feel and just all your senses, you know, you, you have the ability to recognize that, wow, this actually feels much more real than the experience I have outside of this, the experiences that I've had, you know, outside right. of these experiences, like in my quote unquote real life, you know? So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, an expanded state of consciousness is another way of thinking mm -hmm. about it, where you're mm -hmm. aware of so much more. Your, your knowledge base is expanded. Your ability to perceive colors is expanded. Yeah. And it really yeah. speaks to the idea of the brain as like filtering our perceptions constantly. Exactly. And it's like the filters exactly. opened up. Yeah. Um, so that does feel more real than real because you're taking in more, um, you're, you're lucid. Um, right. Yeah, a lot of illusions drop away. Um, right. So all of this plays into that, I think. So that's an interesting way to put it because that's, so that actually makes me think that the realer than real sort of phenom phenomenon of that is that, okay, if this, if you have this filter usually on and it becomes more porous when you're, um, you know, taking plant medicines or psychedelics, then you're literally experiencing more of everything, right? You're allowing more of everything through to yourself. Mm -hmm. So it feels like it's more realer than real, but it's not like any separate from, you know, the quote unquote real world that you're actually right. in. It's just that when you're in the quote unquote real world and not, you know, within like your body's not like you, you haven't taken plant medicines, mm -hmm. then it's, you're just filtering so much more of that out. Mm -hmm. So I think yeah. that's a great way to explain that, you know, what that even means realer than real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, I mean, people can understand when they're in a, um, a less conscious state, you know, if you're kind of in a mindless state driving and you're just thinking about, and you're, you know, your thought processes are just going and you're less aware mm -hmm. and you didn't notice things around you. Yeah. All of a sudden you've gotten to a location and you're like, how, oh, I don't even remember driving here. Like, and then you're like awake. <laughs> so it's like yeah. different levels yeah. of awareness. <laughs> yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with like how much you feel like you're ready to take in. Like if you're in more like survival mode where you have a lot mm -hmm. going on, you know, I, I, I'm mm -hmm. thinking of, okay, what's the opposite spectrum of that would be, um, you know, if you have a lot going on and for example, you are experiencing emotions that you're not 
really readily um, able to deal with. And so you sort of are blocking so much mm -hmm. out, you know, you're blocking those emotions out, you're blocking other people's experiences out, like you're actually filtering heavily, because you, in order to just be okay, in order to survive, and in order to adapt to the conditions that you're within right now, you need to actually keep mo most of that at bay, and just deal with whatever, like, incremental piece of stimuli and information that you can deal with at this moment in time. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, it's like, yeah, if you're in a survival mode and you need to focus on, your, your attention is more narrowed. Um, you're not going to be able to just sit and like take in all the beauty. Yeah, and right. yeah. Um, and so, so I guess, so I guess that's a good lead into talking about emotions because that was the main thing I think that stood out to me from reading the study is that, um, okay, Two of, the, two of the main benefits that were noticed from doing a meta-analysis of all these different studies that have been done on psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy or different forms of assisted um, psychotherapy use in research conditions was being able to, like, uh, being able to work more tangibly with the emotions that you have and the experiences that you've had and uh, what is described as ego deaths or ego dissolution and what mm -hmm. that leads to. So I think this is a good segue to just speak a little bit about um, how, how psychedelic assisted psychotherapy help, would help an individual deal with their past, their history, their trauma, or their just emotions, to put it simply, versus just psychotherapy alone, and um, versus psychotherapy with, you know, SSRIs, and, you know, how you and I have discussed, like, SSRIs usually inhibit mm -hmm. your experience of your emotions, and they suppress them, so how, yeah. I guess I want to hear from you about that. Yeah, sure. And yeah, to start um, in the recent wave, the most tested um, mental condition is depression and anxiety. Often they're together, they're very comorbid. Um, and it's the way that it's often enrolled, or our participants are often enrolled, is that they're treatment resistant. So it's kind of like they're not responding to SSRIs, they're not responding to psychotherapy. And that happens to be about a third of people with depression, which is really, really high. Um, and so when we look at those studies, um, we see that uh, mostly it's been psilocybin, I believe, in some LSD uh, studies mostly, um, which are the, known as the classical, uh, classical psychedelics. And they are 5-HT-2A um, agonists, so serotonin agonists. Um, but I, I looked at other psychedelics as well, like MDMA and Ibogaine. Um, but with them, uh, what participants seem to report that differs with um, antidepressant use, for instance, um, is that they're allowed to process their emotions rather than having their emotions blunted. Um, and to relate into the ego death as well, it's all, it all creates you know, one journey, one picture, um, is that a lot of people with anxiety and depression, they've been programmed into that through things that have happened to them, through ways of thinking about themselves and the world, and there are all these patterns that develop that keep up their anxiety and depression. And psychedelics um, through ego death, death or dissolution or a weakening of the ego, which is a weakening in the story of ourself um, or our subjective view of ourself, combined with a release of this emotion allows for uh, a separation from that pattern, from that 
um, the little you that's been depressed um, and you can process the emotions while also having that space to reprogram and understand why you felt the way you felt, um, to even have forgiveness for the people that may have caused you pain. Um, because there's this weakening of the little me and all that was done to me and um, mm. all that softens so that you can see it more objectively. <clears throat> and the importance of the therapist or traditionally the shaman or in spiritual traditions, having a master or a guru <laughs> is to be able to create a new story out of that. And mm. that's what we find is really, really important is that integration phase. Okay, this right. is what you experienced, you know, because sometimes you can have what's considered a bad trip because the emotions are overwhelming or you're re-experiencing some traumas maybe. Um, and then if you're just left with that, then where do you go from, from there? But having the therapist, um, and usually it's like we recommend in the article to have that psychotherapy session, at least one after the psychedelic um, assisted session um, when you're in a sober state so that you can recreate a, a new narration. Um, and they recently did a study in Norway looking at um, psychedelic users using it for therapeutic purposes. And they, uh, they studied bad trips and they're able to transform bad trips through this narration, through creating a story around it. Mm -hmm. um, so that some post-traumatic growth, some growth can occur and then hopefully creating a new way of, of viewing yourself in the world and um, forgiving others. And um, it's kind of like, a, some people call it like a reset, just like everything is reset. Um, and people do report that they, um, it creates more meaning, purpose, and that they have more compassion for others and themselves. <clears throat> so it's almost like everything can be, if, you know, in the ideal therapy session, everything is forgiven and released. And um, on the other side of these wounds are, are um, gifts, essentially. Um, every anytime we have uh, a wound or if we're depressed or anxious, there's certain behaviors that are blocking something for ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. And so the hope is that true healing is that everything can um, be truly released and experienced, forgiven, um, and then transmuted into some kind of gift that then can help others. Mm -hmm. um, and psychedelics, if used properly, seem to be able to facilitate that. Um, and the other thing about uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy compared to just psychotherapy or just SSRIs um, or SSRIs with psychotherapy is the ongoing nature of it. Um, very rarely does a psychiatrist prescribe an SSRI for six months and say, okay, you'll be done then. Then your, your depression will be gone and, and we'll be good. <laughs> I think that's a sign that it's not really dealing with, you know, the yeah. <laughs> yeah, root issues that are causing it because you're becoming mm -hmm. dependent on it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've, I've been on SRI, SSRIs, I'll be honest, when I was younger. And that's exactly the experience for me was just that everything was kind of numbed out. It's like, right. okay, now I don't have to deal with any of those. Yeah. Those, you know? And that, that makes me think of people who already are numbed to their emotions. But right they're experiencing depression and or depression and anxiety or you know whatever mixture have you of the fact that they're not dealing with their emotions like they're, they're depressed yeah. because they're numb to their emotions and they're not yeah. dealing with them and then the SSRIs just you know make that just aggravate I, that process and make it worse and I also think that's why um that they can increase risk of suicide for some teens because mm. you're numb to 
the consequence. You're numb to your own emotions that would maybe stop your behavior and you're numb exactly. to, you're numb to what your mother's going to think when she finds you. Um, or, you know, wow. so, um, and the school shooters, for instance, uh, wow. pr pretty mm -hmm. much all of them were on SSRIs, if I'm right. I, I'm pretty wow. sure. I did not know that. And so it's there's like this emotional numbing um, and they're on them to begin with because they have psychiatric problems. And then it just kind of, it makes them, you know, function, I guess, but is it really healing anything? Um, and I do believe it can really, really help to get to a stage of true healing. Right. So sometimes, yeah, like sometimes there's a lot of thought problems. Like for myself, I feel like I, I needed them for a period of time. I was probably too young, but you know, I needed them for a period of time to get my thoughts organized mm -hmm. a little better mm -hmm. and to be able to see how my thoughts were contributing to it. Yeah. So once I was on them, then I learned the more cognitive therapy. Right. I, I meditated. I was able to mm -hmm. then have that space. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they're like um, a crutch, not a crutch, like a step, a stepping right. stone. Like a buffer. Or yeah, a buffer just to, to get out of that like emergency state. Um, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not knocking SSRIs on the whole. Right. Just, no, we're not. I think neither of us are just to make that clear to everyone. <laughs> I just think they're over prescribed and over relied on and um, yeah. are not uh, necessarily the best approach in the long term. So. Yeah. In the long term. And yeah. so something to um, note, which is something that I've continuously, I feel like bringing up is just the integration of the experience that one has when taking psychedelics so the realizations that one has you know and being able to integrate them you know it, in the long in the long term so that the changes are not um, just for a few months but actually can cement into long-term change of behavior and uh, character and maybe even personality changes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so I guess one thing to note there is that um, I think you brought up forgiveness and mm -hmm. I think something like forgiveness sometimes, and this might just be my personal experience, but I find that something like forgiveness sometimes is much easier to change than something like a long-standing pattern of um, for example, feeling misunderstood. Like, uh, for example, that this this feeling of being misunderstood or something that is a long-standing pattern, right? Because mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's probably because there's so many connections in your brain, like that connect to that pathway, like so many different mm -hmm. cues and triggers that connect to mm -hmm. this one thing, right? Um, that it's much more difficult to change those things in the long term, you know, because there is so much that's connected to it. And those things, while you have revelations when you take plant medicines and you can see those connections better, like viscerally, like, whoa, like this is connected to this and this is connected to no wonder I felt this way, that sort of thing. I find that at least just, you know, I haven't done research on this. It's just my personal sort of um, like anecdotal, like research of seeing people take psychedelics, like for their mm -hmm. own personal healing, not in a psychotherapy sense. And seeing right. that sometimes it's very difficult for those changes to stick mm -hmm. in the long run. 
so I think that's what happens when people sometimes feel also like they need to take plant medicines, you know, <laughs> whenever they sort of have something come up and I'm not, I'm not dissing that. I'm just saying that I wonder what are the, the factors that are prohibiting those changes from actually becoming mm -hmm. more permanent. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, a lot of it is there needs to be some kind of behavioral change after that integration. So the integration hopefully creates a story around mm -hmm. um, what may be contributing to the suffering to begin with and then having the solution. So in the case of forgiveness, I mean, you know, that's one that you said was easy, but um, it's one thing to forgive somebody that maybe you have a bad relationship with a uh, relative or something. Mm -hmm. It's one thing to say, I forgive them inside. And it's another thing to reach out to them talk to them, try to change that actual relationship. Yeah. Um, totally. And I'm speaking from my own experience, like, and there's that like bypassing thing, which happens in the spiritual community. <laughs> oh, God. And it happens yes. in the psychedelic community. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow. I forgive you from yeah. here. I was sending you love through the ethers. Right. But then we're still like isolated and, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's like, this is the same thing with mind body medicine, uh, yoga or, um, Reiki, energy medicine, things come up. And the point is you have to, you have to do something at some point. And I think the reason that the pharmaceutical industry and the, and the surgery industry is so successful is because people don't have to do anything. Um, mm. Take a pill. Well, that's easy. Um, just lay on a bed unconscious. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, twice a week, go to yoga and move your body. And it's like, oh, really? <laughs> So I think people have a hard time um, overcoming an inertia of, of not do not making changes. And the brain, like you said, there's all these patterns, all these cues that um, that uh, reinforce that that lack of change. Um, and and yeah, I think uh, there needs to be a continual. There needs to be some kind of behavioral shift. Um, there are lots of studies with uh, I think the second most popular uh, group is addiction. So that's an example of a behavior um, mm -hmm. that, that gets changed by the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Um, I think ibogaine, ketamine, um, psilocybin as well have been tested for addiction. Um, mm -hmm. And some people push against that. How are you gonna give another drug for an addiction? <laughs> um, but psychedelics themselves have very low potential of addiction. Um, it's very rare for someone right. uh, I mean, it does happen. People use them um, a lot, uh, but the, the addiction, it's, I don't know what, what's driving that as much, maybe just bypassing, um, but the addiction potential, physiological and psychological is really low. Um, <clears throat> so people that have been, Ibogaine, for instance, um, is really useful for opioid addiction, which is a big problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and very, very, like to the point of completely getting rid of the addiction. Um, so that's a, an example of a behavior that can be changed. Um, so yeah, but it does it does take work because they're going to go out into the world and okay, they have to stop hanging out with certain people, right? Like they have to stop going certain places. So there is a point where you still have to make changes, and hopefully the psychedelic and the psychotherapy shows you how to do that, um, guides you toward that. And I think that they should continue to follow up with their therapist. Um, mm -hmm you know, depends on how, how frequent, but yeah, that integration is definitely key. Um, I think it's interesting that, um, I think it'll be really, really interesting to see, like, once this becomes more 
um, more widely recognized and accepted. Um, and people, you know, regularly start going to, well, maybe not regularly, but actually start going to psychotherapy uh, assisted like psychedelic use um, to see the effects and the sort of prolonged changes that people experience in their relationships and in their families. And um, I think most of just, I guess the answer to, you know, my question, that I, well, discussion point that I was bringing up is yet like to be seen um because mm -hmm. it'll just be really interesting to see how that changes things um i think most people who take um psychedelics they like themselves they don't have someone that i guess i would say is qualified or ready mm -hmm. or able mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. really help them integrate what they're experiencing yeah. And when you're just relying on your own tools and mechanisms for interpretation, I think that can be like a severe rate limiting factor to your integration of what's coming through because you're going to inevitably interpret the stimuli through your own frames of reference and through your mm -hmm. developmental stage. And mm -hmm. if you're trying to get to another developmental stage, it's sort of hard to do using the only frames of your current developmental stage. There has to usually be some sort of trigger, you know, some sort of mm, out external influence for someone to sort of begin to interpret things a bit differently. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a long way to go. And I think um, because of the war on drugs and the suppression, um, we've lost quite a few decades of, of being able to bring this into our medical. So the medical system is trying to catch up with the culture um, and kind of, I think it's important. Um, and the demand for this, I've had a lot of people contact me. How do I have psychedelic assisted psychotherapy? And I'm, well, you can sign up for a trial because that's pretty much <laughs> all you really, like there are clinics you can go to, but you know, it's, it's really rare to find. And yeah. um, so um, and then you have, you do have places like Oregon, you know, legalizing mushrooms and what's that going to do if people, mm -hmm. you know, are, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be, um, always a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think it should be criminalized. Um, but yeah, are people going to be self-medicating, um, in a way that might, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, probably not <laughs> <laughs> so. probably not but I mean if we look at if we look at traditions you know that we started doing psychedelic research very um, haphazardly I'd say and now we're doing it um, much more carefully um, but if you look at the indigenous traditions they always have a guide if you look at um, you know the spiritual traditions uh, if you look at uh, Hindu parts of Hinduism oh, <laughs> Sorry. We're going to edit all this out. <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. Um, some, some spiritual traditions like Vedanta, uh, for example, they really, and part, other parts of Buddhism, they really uh, emphasize having a master, for example. Mm. And I think it's for the same reason because these practices, a lot of yeah. those practices lead to ego death. And Oh gosh, that just brings up so much because I want to say like, I know it's so funny that you're saying that because so many people that I notice these days like that would classify themselves as being spiritual, have such an aversion to that. You know, they have such yeah. a, you know, an allergy to having 
a quote unquote master, you know, or someone that knows more than them, like, whoa, you know, and, and I think partially, partially like granted, like I understand that a lot of people who have labeled themselves as spiritual masters or gurus have abused their power, like to a large extent, like I totally, I, I've worked with a lot of people, you know, in the past that had that happen to them. So I understand like how deep of a wound that can be. But I think Mm -hmm. that honestly, most of the people who do feel that way about not like accepting someone that knows more than them or being willing to accept help from that such a person or guidance from some such a person or not people who've actually had negative experiences Mm -hmm. with having a guru or master. I think sometimes at least what it looks like to me is that it comes from a place of ego, you know, which Mm -hmm. is ironic. Because I think it comes from a place of like being arrogant or just wanting to feel, feeling like it's all within you and you know, you can do it all yourself. And it's like, there are nuances there that people are not picking up on. I completely agree. And I think um, it might also have something to do with like the individualistic society, which is like, I can do it myself. I can make it big. I can do... (laughs) Um, I don't need anyone. (laughs) Whereas these spiritual practices are coming from the East, which is a collectivist culture, which is highly about uh, respect and knowing your role and your place and not, and a lot, the ego is really the identity, sorry, is really the group identity more than now it's the individual identity in the, in the West. And we simultaneously have so much um, empowerment, self-help, like, you know, there's books that are be your own guru, be your own shaman, be your own, like, yeah, I mean, um, Tony Robbins, <laughs> his little documentary on Netflix, his mini documentary, mm-hmm. yeah, that's titled that, and it's, I think it's ironic, because, you know, I mean, for a variety of reasons, I think partially there's a wound there, and partially, um, I'm blanking on what I was going to say, I think it's, there's medicine, there's medicine in being able to be a follower and people don't understand that there's, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's profound, it's wonderful to be a leader and it's wonderful to lead yourself. Like that's obviously necessary and that's something to grow into. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of value in being able to accept help. And it doesn't even have to be in the form of like humbling yourself or putting yeah, someone on bowing a bowing before. Yeah. Worship right. all that. Yeah. 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 So, um, so true. I think partially the misunderstanding there is that if I do make this person someone that I listen to or accept guidance from, and I have to have a deep trust, you know, in that yeah. relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the misunderstanding for people who might, you know, struggle with that a little bit is that that would make me less than, or that would make me like, that would mean that I don't really, um, that I'm less than them or that I'm not, you know, as, as knowledgeable or capable of doing this for myself versus this person. But it's, it's funny because a true, like someone who would be a criteria that I would look for as someone who I would accept that to have that kind of relationship with and put in that role as someone who deeply understands that, that does not mean that I know, you know, less than them or I'm less than them. It's just that mm-hmm. in this current form, you know, who I am and currently 
I, I don't have access to remembering those things. Yeah. But it would be someone that acknowledges like, of course, that's not the relationship here. Of course, you already know these things. You don't remember them. You don't have access mm-hmm. to them right now. But that doesn't mean that you're any less than me. And I think that's yeah. kind of the piece of the misunderstanding. Yeah, and I think, I think that's, you know, people need to be a little bit more wise uh, before following someone. And if they do uh, raise themselves above and say that, you know, I, I'm very fascinated by cults and I, I study a lot of cults mm. and a cult leader, what distinguishes just someone who's um, a spiritual leader from a cult leader is, well, a lot of things, but one thing they'll say is I am the one with the truth. I am the only one that has the truth and I am above you um, so that the flesh and God are one, you know, it's, or a true leader is like, we all have these little selves and we all have the self with the capital S, which is God consciousness. And I'm going to help you realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the true role, not worship me because I'm the portal to that. Um, I know. <laughs> um, and so, um, but there are a lot of wounded people that they're looking for belonging. And so they'll, they'll follow anyone um, who gives them attention. And um, so. And I think there's another nuance there with like, someone who's saying, okay, I, like, I know this truth, so I'm not going to say that I don't know it, but there's a distinction between that and saying, I know this truth, and, like, I am, I am the, like, the final, like, pit stop for Mm -hmm. that, like, there's, Mm -hmm. because the distinction is, like, I want to help you realize that for yourself, Take this into your own direct experience because you will see what I'm saying in your own experience. You don't have to believe me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you will know it through your own direct experience. And I want, I, like, I want you to have your own direct experience so you mm-hmm. can be that like for yourself, not have to exactly. rely on me. That's because that's very tiring. So, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's, it's like true leaders make other leaders, you know, it's mm-hmm. not, not followers. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but some people might always need that in their life because of, yeah, and, whatever, totally you know, okay. whatever. and that's yeah. fine. They can yeah. live on an ashram and um, worship someone while they want, you know, that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's totally fine. But yeah, the Western spirituality has become very ego uh, mm-hmm. centric and um, yeah, it's, And, you know, uh, I think semantics get involved where, you know, it's like, I am the universe and I am God. Well, yeah, you're a part of it. We're all that and we're all a part of it. But the little, but it's like they take their ego and the ego is like, I'm God. (laughs) It's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, it's nuanced. It's nuanced. Like even when I had, so an example, I had this, I had an ego death experience. It came totally spontaneously one day. It started snowing in October. This was two years ago. And I went outside and all of a sudden it was just like, whoa, I was the whole of everything, you know, you know, ego death, like merging with everything. And, yeah. and I didn't know. So I sat on this rock to ground because my mom was inside. And I'm like, I can't talk to anyone. You can't talk yeah. to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to ground and like reprogram myself. Um, and then I went inside and finally, and I didn't know how much time passed, but it wasn't that much. But as soon as I like got my ego back, my ego was like, I just had an enlightenment. <laughs> I was like, I just oh, got an wow. And I was like, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> You're like patting your ego on the head. Yeah. You 
your shirt. I was like, you weren't there at all. So it's funny how it just, it, so it's funny. always looking for that <laughs> identification and like. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that, I don't think that ever goes away. I don't think no matter how many ego deaths you have, your ego doesn't entirely go away and it's supposed to be there. It's just your yeah. ability to mediate, you know, what's happening there, like you did, you know, patting your ego on the head, you know, like, so, mm, okay. Um, like it's a little, like a little kid or something. <laughs> um, and I, I was reading a bit about Buddhism and, you know, one of the paths is ego death for the end of suffering. Uh, but I read that it's not that you're, it's not ego death forever, you know, like we've talked about, right. it's that then you recognize it, then you wear it like exactly. a cloak exactly. and you use it when it's helpful. Um, for instance, the ego is the reason we can love our children a little bit more mm -hmm. than the children next door and therefore take care of them because we have to. Right. And, right. Um, without the ego, we wouldn't pay any special attention to our child versus another child. Or, mm -hmm. So it certainly has a role. It can help us um, with social justice, you know, because you can be in an egoless state and you see that everything's perfect and nothing needs changing. Mm -hmm. But our human will is so strong to constantly want to make things better and the ego can help with that. So um, I think it's really about recognizing it, looking at it, not, not identifying with it and using it for good. It'll be interesting to see how, yeah, because that's part of the integration, what you're describing, you know, part of understanding the nuances, which, you know, uh, really comes from like developing and it'll be interesting to me. I'm thinking about how the, uh, how the psychologists or the psychotherapists are going to how they're going to be trained and how they're like part of the manuals or whatever materials is available to them to help people integrate these things and actually like develop and evolve to be able to integrate them and have consistent lasting changes because I think that will be another point of uh what's the word like a point of variability and how how well it works for people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know is is who's there with you helping you process what you're experiencing yeah yeah the setting is so important um now the way that like the way they used to do psychedelic research was like a hospital room like an IV dripping heart rate monitor, Terrible. like, so, so people started experiencing that they were being um, experimented on medically, which they were, you know, but everything gets amplified or alien, they were being abducted by aliens and probed at mm -hmm. it. Um, and now you can see the, the rooms, it's like, um, tapestries everywhere and like yeah, yeah. bed, like salt yeah. lamps I, i've been to one of them yeah <laughs> in johns hopkins but it's also important to note like pretty much all of these studies i think you you should clarify maybe that um the people that were accepted you know to do this testing on were people that had never done psychedelics before right yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. most most if not all of them um sometimes yeah um yeah for sure I guess the last thing that I'm going to touch on is um, the the what I found really interesting is that one of the one of the the main things that was found is that this default uh, mode network in the brain was mm -hmm. responsible for um, 
the sort of ego death or ego dissolution experiences that people were having. Uh, one part of the study that I found really interesting, and for those who are going to read it, I'll tell you what page it is. It's on page 28. Um, and it's the part um, at the very top that is talking about how um, DMN connectivity, which is the default mode network, um, was enhanced the following day uh, following a psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy, um, which they, you know, which you noted may correspond with a restructuring of one's life narrative, perspective, mm. beliefs, and worldview that in turn promotes self-actualization and positive clinical outcomes, which, you know, that's so, I, I love being able to visualize this and put words to it in a more, um, you know, empirical way, because mm. I think this will help even the experiences with people that are you know, very experienced or do this like on their own time, not in a psychotherapy setting, it will help us actually create those nuances and get out of the sort of fogginess of like understanding what's happening. Um, does that make sense? I think so. Like you're, you're saying that, um, that like integration. The, right. Like these interpretations that people have, like, okay, we're all one and you know, mm -hmm. everything is within me and you know, what's, what's really going on there, you know? And, being able to create differentiations and distinctions between yes that is the experience that you're having and yes that is true and there are also other truths you know there are also other nuances to that so that you don't interpret it in such a way that would make you for example reject being able to humble yourself or being able to have more ego right, deaths that yeah. will eventually lead to higher truths than the one that you currently realized you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really good point. And yeah, the integration helps with that. Um, and yeah, it's interesting because they used to, it's recent that they've, they've started to see that like an increase in this default mode. So the default mode network, just to get back with that, is um, many different brain regions and involved in a lot of different things. But there's one particular aspect of it, which is the medial prefrontal cortex connecting to the posterior cingulate cortex and the angular gyrus. And that particular circuit is connected to our subjective sense of self. So we see a loss of integration of that network when people are having a sense of ego death. Um, and that does correspond with the breakdown of our narrative and our, um, our sense of self emerging with um, oneness, having a sense of unity. Um, and then after, yeah, putting this back together. So we see these, this network is now increased in activity. So starting to try to make sense and build a new idea of, of who the self is. So the idea is not to like stay in an ego death state because that's not what we're here for. Um, <laughs> that's supposed to be an enlightened state and more connected to your soul, but we're here as a human. Um, and so using that experience to construct a new small self um, that hopefully leads to less suffering and is more in alignment with um, what you would consider to be your life purpose or, or passions. Um, yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> and yeah, just to note that the, the, that same network um, uh, is associated with uh, experience of ego death during meditation as well. So mm. it's not just found with psychedelics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you noted um, much earlier on that, you know, even if someone were to take on med meditation as a recurring you know, practice that they do often, that certainly does not mean that they're going to reach those enlightened states. Like it, it's definitely not a guarantee and it's definitely, um, it can take a very long time if, 
if the person even does it <laughs> consistently, which is very rare where someone actually keeps up that practice. So yeah. wonderful. There's so much more I would love to talk to you about just on yeah. revolving, like re revolving surrounding topics to this. And I would love to have you back on the show. Um, yeah. yeah we'll I love that. Yeah. There is a lot to talk about. Um, cause we didn't even touch on like, a, I mean, it's just so much, <laughs> lots of tangents. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Natalie. Thank you so um, much. Can you uh, just let us know where people can find you? Where's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, you can go to my website. It's drnatalydyer.com. I'm also on Facebook, Natalie Dyer, and Instagram, although I'm not really on Instagram that much. The best way is probably through my website um, and my emails there. Um, it's kind of long, natalieleedyer at gmail.com. Woohoo! Awesome. Woo cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, before you run away, please take a moment and leave a review for the show. Scroll up, press those stars, and leave an honest review of what your experience listening to this just was. How are you feeling right now? How did this change the way that you feel and think? Let me know. I want to read your review. I want to read about your experience and I want to share it. If you're one of the people who's feeling like I want more of this, oh God, this feels good and I want more of where this came from. Well, my friend, I've got the perfect, perfect invitation for you. Within Patreon, I share that kind of juju that I don't share anywhere else. It is completely a private space and community to dive even not just deeper into this, but actually get even wilder. It is uh, a bit wild and extreme and savage in the sense that uh, the things that I'm sharing are very cutting edge in a lot of different ways and it is brand new. It is a brand new space, completely fresh energy, and I'm going from now, which is September if you're listening to this, forward. I hope to see you there if you're one of those people who is coded to bring this into their lives in this time now. Loving you always. Keep being your brilliant self and take very good care of yourself.